Uh, Good morning. So good to be with you guys this morning. We are starting a new series today uh, called No Filter. How many of you guys have uh, seen these filters? Anywhere that you can see them? Um, They're so much fun and, you know, you can have the cry face on strangers at the airport. I'm not talking from personal experience. I'm just saying you could do that if that was something that you wanted to do. But, you know, I remember when when Instagram first came out, uh, you know, Sorry for everybody in Gen Z, you're like, dude, that was a long time ago. I wasn't born. But I remember when it first came out, and it was this, it was this photo app, and um, people, it was like you would brag. If you took your picture and you didn't put a filter on it, you know, to fix it, make it better, then you would brag, hashtag no filter. Like, I took this, and I don't need any help, right? And it was your way of saying, I'm an incredible photographer. And pe- every, all the photographers in the room are like, well, your camera on your phone is an incredible camera. Okay, Um, but that was our way of bragging, no filter. And now today we have these filters that are incredible where you can film people who are laughing and it's making them look like they're crying. And it's it's a, you know, really fun thing. We have now something called deep fakes, right? Where you can see someone doing something and you're like, they definitely did it. And then people come out and they're like, that was fake. That wasn't real. How many of you guys have seen the picture of the Pope in the big puffy jacket? Anybody? I love that picture. It's totally fake. He never wore that puppy jacket. But man, it's good. I love it, right? Thank you, Brenda. Me and her are laughing about it. We like the puffy jacket. We're into it. But you know, one of the, one of the bummers about filters and being able to fake who you are is something that's called catfishing, right? So catfishing, people pretend to be someone they're not on the internet, and now you can even have the bold glamour filter, right? And you can really look good. And then when you meet someone in real life and they're like, that's, you are not who you said you were, right? For, for all the men, you guys are like, that's what it's like when my significant other washes their face. Oh, sorry, okay, 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 okay. Oh, I'm just kidding. You say you can't say that? Of course you can't say that. Yeah, okay. Okay, well, I, I, I scoured the internet for my very favorite catfishing story. Don't worry, this is the cleanest catfishing story you'll ever hear. So if you, what I just said, basically catfishing, it's when you pretend to be someone you're not, and then someone finds out you were pretending to be, I don't know, whatever. I'm not even going to give them an example. It's, it's too bad, okay? Something on the internet, and then you meet in real life. You're not who you said you were. That's what you were called. You were catfish. So this is my very favorite catfishing story. It's also probably the cleanest there ever was. It says, I work for a repo company, and I have a fake Facebook set up to lure people who have been hiding their cars from us out on dates. <laughs> we, we make plans to meet up, and then they arrive. When they arrive to meet up, I repo their car. <laughs> it's literally my favorite story. Um, Jake and I, we were driving somewhere recently, and we were listening to a podcast, and they said in it, you know, what is your, the worst job you could ever think of? And, and they were interviewing people. And then what's the best, like your dream job? And so after the podcast was over, Jake's like, what, what's your, what's the worst job you could ever think of? You know, that was easy for me. It was easy for me to think of it. Um, it in case you know, it's not this job. It, it was a different job. It was me. I said, if, I, if there's a person who has to, at an airport, figure out when the planes come and land, like schedule all that and make sure it works, that's, the, that's a nightmare. I said, that's, my, that's a disaster job. It's probably not even a person, but if it is, no, that's not for me, okay? And then he, what's your dream job? And I said, I, don't, I can't think of a dream job, you know, 
You guys are like, you're already living the dream. No, that wasn't it. It was, I, I couldn't think of a dream job. And then when I read this story, I was like, that's my dream job. If that could be my life, tricking people for good, I'm about it, please. That sounds amazing. That's all I want to do. Hey, you're going to prank people for your job, but it's for their benefit. Okay, good. All right. No, no harm, no foul. Sounds like a dream job. I'm going to show you guys my very favorite filter I've ever seen. Uh, they're going to put it on the screen for me there. So good. This, this actually was Jake, you know, about 10 years ago. He had a lot of work done. A lot of work done. Man, he's, now he's living the dream. No. He, uh, uh, Eddie Dasso made that years ago, and I was like, I have, to, I have to see this every day. This is something I need to own. I love this. You look so good, and you don't look a day over 300. <laughs> but there's, we, there's filters, right? There's filters all around. It's hard for us to know what is real. And the truth is, all of us use filters. Maybe we're not using them in social media. Maybe we're not using them on the Internet, but we use them in real life. We like to put filters on ourselves so that we look a certain way, so that we um, seem a certain way, so, you know, our coworkers don't realize how messy our car is, right? Or so that, you know, if we're trying to get a job, if we're in an interview, and we're trying to act like we really do qualify for this job, I promise. <laughs> I'm everything you hoped I was, right? And we use filters in our every single day life. And if you guys have ever, um, if, you've, if you've been married, if you are married, and you go to your in-law's house, you use a lot of filters then. A lot of filters, right? <laughs> Watching what you're saying all the time, you know? And probably for all of us at holidays, we're using filters. <laughs> hey, remember, you're in the car, you're driving with your significant other. Remember, we don't talk about this, this, or that. You keep it in, you filter it, right? Um, and, and so we, we all use filters in some way. But Jesus was the one who didn't use any filters. Jesus was someone who lived life, he spoke, and he didn't use filters. And it cost him a lot. Multiple times when we read the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the accounts of Jesus' life. Multiple times it says Jesus said this hard thing and the crowds left. They left him, right? Because they heard the hard thing and they said, nope, that's not good with that. And they leave. It was too much. So Jesus, he didn't use filters. He, he just said the truth. This is different than all of our friends who say, I just tell it like it is. Right? I, don't, I just tell the truth, but it's different. This is different. Jesus is telling the actual truth, number one, and then he's telling it in love. So it's a little bit different, but he's, he, wasn't, he wasn't worried about what he, if what he said was going to offend someone because he knew I have to speak the truth. He didn't use a filter. And so today we're going to look at a story um, that Jesus, that we can see in Mark. But first of all, um, you know, Shirley and Rick, while, during worship, I just felt God had just a word for you guys. I just felt God was talking about how incredibly faithful you both have been to him throughout your lives and now together. But you just have a faithfulness in your heart, a picture of beautiful faithfulness. And then I even felt like God wanted the church to know, like, these, this is what it looks like to have a life surrendered. You know, a life that's saying, God, I'm, I have open hands with my life. The decisions that you want, it's open hands that I'm always seeking God first. And that we could look at you guys as an example. This is a surrendered life. But I also felt like God was saying to you guys that he is opening up some new things some new fruit in your life that is unexpected, things that you didn't see, things that you thought, I didn't know this was going to happen. I didn't know God would use me in this way. And some new doors ahead of you and um, that he's just preparing you to walk through them. 
And they might not be what you thought. I didn't know my life would be fruitful in this way. But now I'm going to obey God. I have those open hands. And it's a beautiful thing. I feel like that he is leading you into and bringing you into right now. Amen? But we're going to look at this story. It's in Mark um, chapter 10, verse 17. It says, this is Jesus. He was setting out on his journey, and a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, defraud, honor your father and mother. He's referring back to the Ten Commandments, right? You know the Ten Commandments, and he names some of them, don't do those things. And then the, the man says back to Jesus, teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In the Bible, they refer to this man, in most translations, they refer to him as the rich young ruler. This is the rich young ruler, and he has everything. He has it all together, right? He's rich, he's young, and he's a boss. He rules over other people. And some of us in this room, you're saying, and was he single, you know? What we don't know... (laughs) What we don't know about the rich young ruler was, was he handsome? And some of you guys are like, I don't care. I can work with the other three, you know? (laughs) As long as he's single, the other one is fine. We can, you know, I can wear sunglasses or whatever. But he, he has it all. He has it all together. And if Jesus was just a great teacher who was just trying to gather a crowd, just trying to get people to follow him, this would be the kind of person he would want to follow him, right? He's in the world's eyes, he's rich, he's young, he's got a great future, and he's a boss. He manages other people. He rules over other people. And so you would expect from from our point of view, yeah, of course, this is like the perfect follower. You know, this is the perfect follower for Jesus. But Jesus doesn't use filters. He doesn't use filters. In fact, in um, Romans 2.11, it says that God shows no partiality. He doesn't care how rich you are. Some of you guys are like, good. (laughs) Me too. Yeah, (laughs) thank God, right? He doesn't care how young you are. Well, thank God, right? And he doesn't care if you're a boss. He doesn't show partiality. Jesus doesn't use filters. And even in this moment, Jesus doesn't use a filter with this young man. This young man is coming and he's saying, Jesus, I have it all. I've already done it all. I'm pretty great. I don't break any rules. And it's kind of like he just wants to get a, yeah, you'll have eternal life from Jesus. So he's coming, Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? This is when your kid is like, mom, I've done the dishes. Is there anything else I could possibly do for you? And they're, cause right, they're just wanting you to say, you are so great. You are my favorite child I've ever had. You know, that's what, that's what the child wants, right? And this is what this man is doing. Hey, I'm so great. Look at, I've done everything. And Jesus comes back and Jesus doesn't use a filter. He doesn't say, oh, good, good job, cool. Hey, do you want to fund? Um, We're going to feed 5,000 people later. I was wondering if you could, you know, fund that for the lunch offering or whatever. No, he doesn't do that. He says the truth to this man. He says, uh, you know, you have to go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, 
and then come follow me. And the man doesn't respond in a good way. He's not like, you're right, I'll do that right now. I'm liquidating everything. No, he says he leaves disheartened. He doesn't follow Jesus. He turns away. What's going on here? Jesus realizes, no, you aren't keeping all the commandments. There's the commitment of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you love your stuff. You love your status. You love this world more than me. And so Jesus is getting right to the heart of what the man, what really matters to him. Which is number two for us, Jesus sees through your filters. The man's putting up a filter of being perfect. I have it all together, God. Look at me. I'm awesome. And Jesus sees right through that. And he says, you really don't. You're still missing it. You might have a lot of things, but you, you, you don't understand what you really need. You don't understand what really matters. And it's true for every single one of us. Jesus sees through our filters. You see, we use filters with each other. But we also use filters with God. Or we say, God, I'm doing really great. I'm doing so awesome. Everything is so good. But it's not. But Jesus sees right through your filters. Maybe you go to your joy group and you smile and you say, everything's so good. You come here on Sunday and the greeters, they look like they have it all together and they're so happy. And they weren't just fighting their four-year-old in the car, right? And they have no idea that you just got a speeding ticket on your way here or whatever. And they look like they have it all together. And so then you put on a filter. I have it all together too. And I am also too blessed to be stressed. (laughs) But Jesus, he sees right through. He already knows what's going on in your heart. He already knows what you're struggling with. He already knows those places that you haven't surrendered over to him. He was perfect, the rich young ruler, or at least he appeared to be perfect. But he loved possessions and status more than he loved God. And I love this verse in verse 21. I think it's kind of the most important part of the story. It says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. So Jesus, he can see the truth. He sees through this man's filters. He sees what he's truly lacking in his heart and his life. He sees with that big stumbling block that's in front of him before he can really follow Jesus. But he doesn't just, you know, throw it on him. Here's the truth and then leave him like some of our friends who only speak the truth, right? That's, that's like what they're known for. I just tell it like it is. There's not that love though. And that's the difference between Jesus. And I love in Mark that it says Jesus looking at him loved him. And it's the same way for you and I, that Jesus looks at you and he loves you. He looks at you, sure, he sees through your filter, he sees what's really going on, but he looks at you and he loves you. This is what's so beautiful about Jesus when we read through the Gospels is time and time and time again, he goes and he finds a sinner, he finds a broken person, he finds a tax collector, he finds these people that everybody else says, we, we choose to reject them, we choose to not be around them, we don't want to see them, and he sits with them, and he loves them. This is Jesus, this is the God that we come and we celebrate here He's not a God who stays far away and judges us from afar. He is a God who does judge us. He does see through our filters, but he sits with us and he loves us. He loves us in them. The rich young ruler, his his story doesn't end very well. Maybe, hopefully, right, at some point he gets it. But what we see in Mark is it says disheartened, he turns, he leaves, he doesn't follow Jesus. But there's a beautiful story in Genesis where we see a different picture. In Genesis, uh, 
chapter 32, I'm going to tell you guys a little bit of this guy's background, Jacob. Jacob is Isaac's son. So if you heard Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and sometimes we sing songs where they're like, you are the God of Jacob, right? This is the Jacob. This is the same one. You guys are like, I thought it was Jake. Pastor Jake. I thought that song was about Pastor Jake. You know, it wasn't. It, it, I guess it could be, but it's not him, right? It's the, it's the God of Jacob, and they're t- referring to Genesis. And in this story, Jacob, he's actually a twin. His twin brother's name is Esau. And as Jacob is being born, he grabs on to his twin's heel. You guys are like, oh, no, no, this means no significance to me. Like, when I read the Bible, I'm like, so what? I don't understand any significance of this happening, right? But it is significant in Jacob's story. It says he grabbed onto his brother's heel. And so when he's born, they name him the name Jacob. Names were really important in their culture. It's their names for us now. Some people name their kids with very important names. But most of us are like, this is my child, A, B, C, D, Absidy, right? You know, or, or whatever. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. That's my favorite one right now. Right? This is my child. This is their name. I thought it was funny. I saw it on a TV show. It's named after my favorite character in a book. This is my child, Harry Potter. Whatever it is, okay? (laughs) But we don't have the same kind of cultural significance that this society would have put onto names. This society was like, when when you were named, this is who you are. So at birth, they say, this is Jacob, which means heel catcher, because he was catching onto his brother's heel, which means deceiver, which is terrible. In case you didn't realize that, it's, a, it's terrible. And we just pretend that's not what Jacob means now, right? You guys are like, I named my son Jake. What am I supposed to do? No, don't worry about it. Remember, it's fine. But, but Jacob, he's carrying around his entire life this identity that was given to him at birth, this identity of a deceiver. And honestly, as you read through Genesis, he is a deceiver. He tricks over and over and over. He tricks his brother into giving him his birthright. Then he tricks his brother and his father again into getting this firstborn blessing. I was like, what is that? He he tricks his brother again into getting this firstborn blessing. So much so, he tricks his brother so much that his brother literally wants to murder him. And this isn't, if you have like elementary students or kids, you know, that you hear this all the time. Like, I want to kill you. You guys are like, no, I don't. Okay, well, my kids, okay, sorry. But so it's not that kind. These are adults who are, he's so angry. He's like, I'm ready to murder you. So Jacob literally has to leave his home, his mom, everybody that he knows and move far away because otherwise his brother will murder him. That's how badly Jacob has lived his life. That's how much of destruction he's left behind him. He goes, he goes, he lives with his uncle Laban and Laban is even more of a deceiver than Jacob is. So now all they do for 14 years is deceive each other. They're like, I tricked you, I tricked you, I tricked you, I tricked you. And you're like, you guys, you're tricky. You're both awesome at tricking. Maybe someone should do something else, right? They both are deceivers. And now Jacob, he has two wives. He has so many children. You can tell when I said two wives, you guys, it's a very peaceful home. It seems like nothing, nothing went wrong after that. No, he is living this tumultuous life. It's just full of destruction. And honestly, a lot of it is his own doing. A lot of it is his own decisions that he's making. He has all of these children now. He, he has actually gathered a, quite a bit of wealth. So he has um, all of these animals. They have servants. They have all of these things. And he decides, I'm going home. I'm going home. I have to face my brother, this brother who he, he thinks probably still wants to murder him. And so he's left all of this destruction in his life. 
And maybe for you, when you look at your life, you say, I'm kind of the same way. Honestly, I think for all of us, when we look at our life, we go, I've kind of done the same thing. I, I, it's, Paul says this in the Bible. He says, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I know I should do, I don't do it. And the thing I do do, I don't want to do. And that kind of describes every single one of us. That when we look back and we see, man, I, I hurt that person, I did that, I did this, I made this mistake, and we see destruction behind us, and that's what Jacob was seeing. And then he's at this point where he's, he's had his family go ahead of him, and he's had all of his, his people, his, the people that he's ruling, he's had all of them go ahead of him, and he's on one side of the river, and everybody else is on the other side of the river. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 24. It says, And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. This is why the Bible is confusing. Because you guys, that one sentence, Jacob was alone, and then a man wrestled with him. And you're like, what? Where'd the man come from? But what we see is that this is a supernatural encounter that Jacob is having. It's not just someone who is hiding in the bushes and jumped out to steal his money or whatever. This is a supernatural moment. And for some reason, this angel or whatever it is, it's, they're wrestling with Jacob. And they wrestle with him all night long. And it says, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, that he couldn't win, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. Can you imagine this? Someone jumps you. They wrestle with you all night. They're not going to win because you've been studying jujitsu. And then you're, you're like, you're not leaving. And then they, they break your hip or some way, right? And then they're like, okay, let me go. And you're like, what? No, what is this about? What was the point of this? I'm not going to let you go. And that's what Jacob's realizing. You're supernatural. Something's happening here. You can bless me. So he says to him, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And he said to him, the man says to Jacob, what is your name? Now, if you think this is an angel sent by God to go and wrestle Jacob, do you think he doesn't know his name? Oh, I wrestled the wrong person. You're Jacob. I, was, I meant to wrestle Russell. Wrestle Russell. That came out of nowhere. Um, No, he, he knows what his name is. What the angel is asking Jacob in this moment, what kind of person are you really? What kind of person are you really? Jacob, you've lived your whole life in certain ways, following certain thought patterns, making the same kind of decisions over and over and over, and it hasn't been good for you. Have you noticed you've left all this destruction behind you? Have you noticed it never works out when you trick and lie and cheat people? What kind of person are you really, Jacob? And Jacob says, I'm Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. This is a beautiful story when we look at it a little deeper. That the angel is saying, what kind of person are you really? And in that moment, Jacob has to say, I'm a deceiver. I'm Jacob. I'm the heel catcher. He has to own and take off the filter of who he really is on the inside. And you know, you, you might say, but it's not really Jacob's fault. I mean, he was named that. Right? He was, he was, he was just grabbed, it was an infant grabbing onto the heel of another baby. It's not his fault. And that's honestly how culture likes us to, to, to um, filter who we really are. 
is it likes to say, it's just your horoscope. We you know what cancer sign are you? That's why you act the way you are. What Enneagram are you? That's why you do the things you do. But God says, who are you really? Are you going to take off the filter and be able to say, God, I'm a mess. I'm a deceiver. I'm broken. And I can either in this moment decide it's everybody else's fault, it's my parents' fault, it's society's fault, or I can realize, no, it's in me. The problem is in me. Because Jacob in this moment completely changes. And this angel says to him, you're not Jacob anymore. Your life is not going to be known for deception and tricks. That's not who you are anymore. Now your new name is Israel. Israel means wrestles with God or triumphant with God. No longer will it be pain and destruction behind you, Jacob, Israel. From now on, you are triumphant with God. And God wants to do the exact same thing for every single one of us. See, he, he doesn't use filters. He, doesn't, he sees right through our filters. But God won't just come in and change you. Number three, my last point, is that Jesus can't change you until you remove your filters. Until you truly say, God, this is who I am. For my whole life, I've been Jacob. God, here's, I'm owning up to my stuff. I'm owning up to the problems that I have. This is who it really is. The beautiful thing about God is he already knows. The beautiful thing about God is, is how bad it is that we say, well, this is so bad, it's gonna scare somebody when they see how bad this is. That God says, I have already seen it. I already know it. And just like what it said, remember back in verse 21, Jesus looks at you and he loves you. He looks at you and he doesn't reject you. Some of you in this room, you have shown people before a little bit of a glimpse of who you really are and you were rejected. And God wants you to know today that when you show him a glimpse, you will not be rejected. He will not reject you, but he does have to deal with the truth of who we are. He does want you to deal in truth, just like he speaks in truth. He wants you to deal in truth with him, to say, Jesus, this is who I am. You know, when you have an unexpected visitor come over to your house and you only have like 15 minutes and they're popping by, isn't that your favorite kind of thing? Pop by. And I don't know about you, but my house has never been perfect one day in its life. I believe it was a mess when it was built in the 60s. It came this way and it shall be this way, right? And so at some point when someone's popping in and you're trying to clean up the mess, at some point it doesn't become about cleaning anymore. It becomes about hiding, right? And so we have a room or a closet or a drawer or a garage or a bathtub. For some of us, it's all of these. <laughs> and we have to hide, right? And if you have little kids, you tell them, you don't open that door. <laughs> While they are here, you don't open that door. No one wants to see this. But we do the exact same thing with the Lord. We say, oh, I'm going to church. Oh, God is going to show up in this place. Oh, God is here. He wants to do something. Hide the bad stuff. Hide the things I don't want him to see. Hide the things I'm ashamed of. Hide the real places that I need him to work a miracle in my life and act like everything is so good. And Jesus says, let me see the room. I already know how bad it is. Let me see it. I won't be able to clean the mess with you until you show me the mess. And that's what was happening with Jacob in that moment. I have a long quote for you. You can read it on the screen. At this moment, Jacob's healing begins. The effect of his healing is seen immediately. 
In the next verse or two, we see Jacob out in front of everybody going to meet Esau. Remember before? He's pushing everybody ahead of him. You go first. You go first. Now he's in front. He's in front of everyone. Here is powerful evidence of the change that is taking place in Jacob. No longer is he manipulating others for his own benefit and safety. He is going out to take his medicine, whatever it is. The silence of releasing control of our relationship with God to God, coming face to face with the kind of person we are in the depths of our being, seeing the depths of our grasping, manipulative, self-indulgent behavior, facing the brokenness, the darkness, the uncleanness that is within, acknowledging our bondages, our false securities, our posturing facades, and naming ourselves to the to God as this kind of person. This is when real change will happen in your life. It's when you say, Jesus, here's my filters. Here's the things I've been hiding from you. Here's the things I haven't wanted you to see. Maybe for you, it's deception like Jacob. Maybe for you, it's, it's brokenness and bitterness. Maybe for you, it's, it's control. Maybe for you, it's uh, fear, anxiety. Maybe for you, it's depression. Maybe for you, it's lust. Whatever it is, we will not grow in our life until we say, God, this is who I really am. This sounds like a very depressing kind of thing, but it's actually a beautiful thing. Because in Matthew 9, uh, 10 through 13, everyone's mad at Jesus because he, he hangs out with the sinners, what they say are the sinners, the tax collectors, the people that the Pharisees are saying, these aren't the people we hang out with. We hang out with the rich young rulers, Jesus. Don't you know this? But he keeps hanging out with people that they say we reject. So they come, it says, and as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But Jesus hears this and he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus is comparing himself to a doctor. He's saying you don't go to the doctor when everything's going great. You go to the doctor when something's wrong. Jesus is the savior. He's the king of the world. And he's not here to save people who are already great, who don't need saving. He's not here to save the rich young ruler who's never done a bad thing in his life. He's here to save you and I who say, Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus, I've left destruction in my life. Jesus, every time I want to do something right, I do it wrong. Jesus, every time I think, oh, I'm going to do the exact same thing again, it goes the same way and it's terrible. Jesus, it feels like since I was born, I've been this person. And he says, you're a sinner in need of a savior. And that's who I am, a savior who's come to save you. This is a powerful thing for you and I. To know that we don't have a God that's far away, but a God who will sit with you and lovingly say, are you ready? Are you ready for me to get into the mess that you've made? Right? There's two different people that I really want to respond to this message. And the first one is for anybody who's in this room and, and you know I've been, I just haven't been able to progress in my relationship with God. It's like I'm always stuck. 
I come to church and what you are saying, how everyone here is too blessed to be stressed, it actually makes me mad. (laughs) I'm not blessed. I don't exactly get it. I'm stuck. Maybe there's some filters in your life that you need to remove. Maybe there's places in your life where you need to get real with Jesus saying, Jesus, this is who I am. Jesus, this is what I'm struggling with. Jesus, this is what I keep doing. So for everyone in the room, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? God, I thank you so much that you are here, that you are in this place with us, that you don't, you're not far away, but you're here with us, that you came and you ate with tax collectors and sinners. And God, I pray for any person in this room that's feeling stuck, God, that's feeling like they, they have those rooms, those junk drawers, God, that you will give us boldness and courage to take off our filters with you, Lord. That people today will be honest, God, with who they are to you, God, that they will show you, Lord, this is really the mess that I've made. Would you come and help me make it clean? Holy Spirit, I just pray you'll move in this room right now. You'll begin to speak to people in this room, God, to our hearts, in our head, Lord, that we will immediately know this is the area that I need to surrender to the Lord. Thank you, God, that you are speaking, that you are moving. We're just going to be a little bit quiet and let God speak to you. I really encourage you guys, uh, you can lift up your head if you want, but you don't have to. Pastor Matt Moult a few weeks ago said something. He said, insight doesn't mean change. And it's really important that we don't walk out of here. If God is moving in your heart and God is revealing things to you, it's really important that you don't just take that information and immediately get distracted with everything else going on. It's really important that you spend those moments and you say, Jesus, this is what's going on. Get real with him. We have a prayer team after church. They would love to pray with you, but I really encourage you, even though everything else is going to move on, don't, don't let yourself move on. Set yourself a moment, right, where Jacob was on one side of the river and he had a moment with the Lord. Give yourself a moment with the Lord. And now maybe you're in this room and you say, I don't know Jesus. This is the second group of people. You don't know him. Listen, every time I think about Jesus, I talk about Jesus, I just focus on Jesus. And almost every time I get tears in my eyes because he is so good, because he is so wonderful. I've loved God since I was a very little girl and he only gets better. Every year I'm like, man, you're so much better than what I thought you were when I was seven, when I was 18, when I was 24, whatever. God, you're even better than I thought you were. The whole story of the Bible is the story of God, the God, the creator of everything. That's not just here for no reason. He created it and he created you and he created you for relationship with him. But he only takes sinners. He only takes those of us who say, God, I've made a mess I'm a a sinner in need of a savior. I need someone to help me. I need someone to save me. And the way that we do that is we put our trust and our faith in Jesus, that he is God, that he died and rose from the grave, that he has the right way for me to live my life. So right now, if everyone would bow your head and close your eyes, if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, would you just lift up your hand? We want to pray with you. No one's looking around. No one can see you. But if you don't know him, this is a way of obedience for you to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I don't understand everything. I don't know everything. 
but I want to follow after you. Anyone in this room, thank you. Anybody else, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else in this room? Okay, we're going to say a prayer. Um, everybody's going to repeat after me so you, you won't be singled out. But it's not a magic prayer. It's just a way for you to verbalize that you're saying, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Right? So everybody repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you're so good. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for not being scared of my mess. God, I have messed up. I've made mistakes. I've done wrong. Jesus, would you forgive me? God, I want to follow you. I give you my life. I put my faith in you. I'm going to walk towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.